Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to exploring everything weird, fringe, and unexplained in this ineffable universe we call home. Today on the show, I'm going to go into some of the most credible UFO encounters, well, at least documented UFO encounters. With all the recent sightings of UFOs, including just a couple days ago, three days ago, um, radar confirming a UFO swarm around Navy warships, and this is being found in the mainstream. Um, with all these sightings recently, I think it's time to talk about some of the more famous and well-known documented, credible UFO sightings, UFO encounters. And that's really all that there is to this episode, so let's just hop into it. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. When it comes to the UFO phenomenon in ufology, there's no shortage of fantastic tales, but just how many of them actually have credibility? Well, that's a tricky question to answer. The importance of being skeptical can never be underappreciated, but having an open mind and thinking for yourself is even more important. However, when it comes down to it, there's just no beating around the bush. If one is looking at things objectively, there are some quite extraordinary things yet to be explained concerning the UFO phenomenon, and many of these mysteries beyond humanity's current comprehension concerning existence and the nature of the universe, I guess. Though I don't want to come off as a blind believer, and nor should you think I am. As usual, I am a seeker, but if it's one thing I know as pure objective fact, it's that things are rarely what they seem at face value. In October 2017, a strange object was spotted within the solar system by the University of Hawaii's Pan-STARRS-1 telescope, funded by NASA's Near-Earth Object Observations and EOO program. I could say its original code word title, but it's just a bunch of weird numbers. Eventually, it became known as the Amuamua, and it's the first interstellar object to visit our solar system. Originally, they thought that it was cigar-shaped with a reddened hue, though later, they discovered it to be more flat and, uh, like round-ish, but, um, flat like a kite is the, most scientists think it was just basically like a flat like a kite, kinda. They flip-flopped a lot before their final conclusion. In any case, initially classified as a comet, this was quickly discarded because the object could increase in speed on its own. One of the bigwigs talking about this is Dr. Avi Loeb, one of Harvard's top astrophysicists, who thinks that aliens are actually trying to contact us. Or, I mean, he thinks that aliens might have tried to contact us in some way through the Amuamua. Not necessarily contact, actually. Maybe, like, uh, just monitor us. Like a probe. 
Dr. Loeb says that when the Amuamua entered our solar system, it was obvious it was moving too fast to be bound by the sun. And upon observation, it was clearly not a comet. So scientists tried to figure out just how it had this extra push and how it could change speed. Not long after initial studies, Dr. Loeb and other scientists concluded that it could possibly be some kind of probe. Dr. Loeb said that the Oumuamua could be a variety of things though. He's not trying to pin it down in any objective way. He also said it could just be like a straight up like relay station for communication or even space trash technology of a fallen civilization lost to the eons of time. We will never know, but um, it's still pretty fascinating. The only reason it was really spotted was that it was actually right in our backyard and reflected the light of the sun. It was in the sweet spot or we'd never have seen it. When the object exited the solar system, it actually speeded up on its own like it had propulsion. It was very smooth with distance and unnatural when compared to contrasting objects that we've documented in space. It doesn't add up. Important to note that Dr. Loeb believes we are incredibly common life forms in the universe, and that the only reason we have not encountered aliens is that we are not interesting enough or advanced enough to qualify for any special treatment whatsoever. Another paradigm shifter is that recently, an incredibly respected source concerning global security came out and confirmed aliens exist. Honestly, if this uh, didn't come from such a credible source, then it wouldn't pack nearly as much of a punch. With over 30 years of experience being the former head of the Israeli space program, as well as a military general and current professor, Haim Ashed dropped this bombshell just a couple of months ago as of the uh, release of this episode. The man is kind of a big deal, otherwise most would probably dismiss his claims as nonsense. He's been awarded the Israeli Security Award three times and is incredibly respected and considered 100% credible, so the words of this man should not be taken lightly. But the stuff he said that people who follow the UFO phenomenon, or especially the Starseed ET lore, got really excited about, is that Ashed said that he and other world leaders worked with the Galactic Federation of Aliens. Which is bizarre and seems too science fiction to be true. However, he said what he said, and with the move for the American Space Force, there's most assuredly more going on than ordinary people are informed of. But with Earth in the chaos and division it's in now, are we really ready to have contact with other sentient species in the universe? <laughs> or, um, I mean, are we even ready to have confirmation other species in the universe are real? To the wise, we are still relatively primitive as a species. With our, I'm right, you're wrong, you know, the mindless tribalism going on while being easily manipulated by mind control mainstream media. How can we possibly be ready? Well, humanity may not have a choice. In America, there is an upcoming event, um, a Senate hearing on the topic. And there's a lot of people in the community that listen to podcasts like what you're listening to that are thinking that there's going to be some kind of disclosure. <laughs> but with how corrupt our system is inside and out, there's no telling what could happen. The government has a long documented history of destroying the lives of ufologists 
and feeding the UFO phenomenon community a bunch of lies and misdirection, which is proven thanks to the Freedom of Information Act. Some think that official disclosure is coming, though, while others, more, <clears throat> more skeptical, openly question the motives behind such an act if they were actually to commit to it. It would be the perfect false flag to pull a whole bunch of authoritarian bullshit. But in any case, let's look over the most credible alien encounters with some now confirmed by the Pentagon and other highly ranking sources. We'll start with one of the older ones I found, and I actually never heard of it until recently. That's the, uh, the Tuscany soccer game incident. Back in 1954, a soccer game in Italy was brought to a standstill by the appearance of a UFO. Around 10,000 witnesses were packed into the stadium for the game, with the two greatest rivals of that era's soccer teams facing off. When the UFO descended to the stadium, it obviously brought the thousands gathered to a complete standstill. Eyewitnesses say it looked like an egg or a cigar. It came into the view of the crowd extremely fast, but then stopped suddenly and moved extremely slow for its size in midair, and it had silverish glitter coming down from it. Roberto Pinotti, Italy's National UFO Center president, was there that day and stated that silvery glitter fell from the UFO onto the people in the stadium. He said it was a strange, sticky substance that disintegrated not long after. And also more UFOs started to appear also having this like weird silvery thing, sticky stuff fall off of them. The UFOs were in a position to study the gathered crowd. And some have speculated, indeed, this is what they were doing. They were analyzing the game or the human behavior of being drawn into large groups to all watch a small number of other humans performing entertainment. And there were many more UFO sightings that were reported in Tuscany that day, as well as the days to come. The witnesses all gave similar descriptions despite never talking to one another. The silvery substance was seen on the roofs of houses, but not too long afterward, evaporated, um, like around an hour after it fell, and it also left no evidence behind. This case is one of the most credible alien encounters because the sheer amount of people who witnessed it all saying the same descriptions and the same similar accounts. And that's all of them not even knowing each other or ever interacting. But that story is just a warm-up and I found it pretty interesting because I've never heard of it before and it was only really released to the public very recently and it's even been verified by the Italian government. But let's move on to a more recent encounter with UFOs, the Navy Super Hornet Go Fast video. In 2015, a bizarre video was released by the government because of the Freedom of Information Act. This was done by a UFO investigative group called To The Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, or just To The Stars for short. The video seems like a routine operation for a F-818F fighter jet flying over the East Coast, USA. But things get really weird really quick. An unidentified oval-shaped object moving through the sky in impossible ways, at least impossible concerning current human technology, and approached the Navy jet and followed it for some time. The Pentagon itself refuses to comment on the video whatsoever from any level of its staff, 
But despite their silence, literally anyone has access to this video by utilizing a freedom of information request, giving almost complete legitimacy to the video. I say almost because, come on, like the government is even slightly trustworthy. In any case though, this is easily one of the most credible UFO encounters out there. Interestingly enough though, one of the To The Stars key members is a former head of a defunct Pentagon program. This program was all about investigating anomalies, UFOs, and his name is Louis Elizondo. Jim Semivan, who has a long resume of working for secret stuff in the government, he even worked for the CIA as a senior intelligence service member who co-founded the company with none other than Tom DeLonge. Tom DeLonge being one of the famous... Tom DeLonge is just actually one of the coolest, bestest people ever. I've been listening to him since I was 12. He's from the famous band Blink-182. And yes, he's, he's up in here. And any longtime Blink-182 fan is very aware of Tom's obsession with aliens and whatnot. When he was still in the band, he even made some pretty sweet songs that referenced them on occasion. Tom's leaving Blink-182 to go do alien stuff really bummed out a plethora of fans across the world and has even turned many against him, considering him possibly mentally unstable for believing in aliens and being so passionate about the subject that it caused him to leave their beloved band. But at least he's doing what he loves. So go, Tom, go. I'll always have your back. But Tom's not what makes this group credible. What makes this UFO research group so credible is it's not only got Elizondo, the former head of UFO investigation programs for the government, but Jim Semivan of the CIA as well. And both Jim and his wife openly claim to have had alien encounters. Considering how high level this dude was in his government career, as well as uh, Elizondo, it's pretty entertaining and hilarious they belong to an alien research group with the guitarist from Blink-182. Fate has a wonderful sense of humor. And <laughs> truth is always stranger than fiction. The former Pentagon director Elizondo was in charge of the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program that was up and running in 2007, thanks to a, uh, a politician who convinced billionaire Robert Bigelow to get it off the ground. Bigelow also has his own aerospace company and is a longtime believer in UFOs. He claims that they do indeed have a presence in the United States, and this is quite undeniable to those who have dedicated themselves to researching the topic. So the Pentagon has pretty much owned up to taking the UFO phenomenon seriously in modern times, though I'm sure they will all deny it or twist it in some horrific way to benefit like the 10,000 elites ruling everything. And it would never be talked about in mainstream media because they own it and most likely suppressed if anyone tried to. But thanks to the Freedom of Information Act, it's quite obvious that billions and billions have been pushed into researching American UFO anomalies. And that's a lot of taxpayer money going to weird stuff. Officially, though, the Pentagon stated that the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program was shut down back in 2012. You know, back when the world ended and we went into the weird timeline. But that doesn't really seem to be the case. According to the Times, as well as many other informants, including Elizondo, the program is still very much around and doing their investigations with the military to this day. 
Elizondo even said after he resigned that someone was appointed to succeed him, but being a pretty upstanding and honorable guy, he never gives any more information than that on the subject or anything beyond surface-level stuff about his defunct Pentagon program out of a sense of honor, something extremely rare in the government. But the main problem the Pentagon had with it is that basically too many people found out about it. So it made sense after being called out to at least publicly shut it down for the masses at a, at a, at a face value kind of thing, further saving face and making any who consider UFOs to be real uh, kind of consumed in nonsense, more discrediting. I hope that makes sense. But the they then basically just went completely underground after that and continue their anomaly research even now. Though it's interesting how the government always claims UFOs are bullshit, but has a specific government-funded department to investigate UFO phenomenon almost every decade since the 40s. That's like being like, hey, check out the sky. It's blue. Nuh-uh, it's pink. Oh, dude, no, it's blue. Oh, also water's wet. No, no way. <laughs> but to find... Um, but to, I don't know what I was, what I was going to say. Anyway, to the stars was originally an entertainment group. At first it was actually a record label, but then expanded to graphic novels and even books and whatnot. To the point it grew a whole branch of it dedicated to UFO research. And back in 2017, to the stars added science and aerospace divisions and became a public benefit corporation. So it's a pretty bizarre series of events that led to this UFO research group. And it's a strange mixture of different personalities. But concerning this video, Elizondo has even made official statements to CNN about the video, saying, and I quote, These are just three videos now that have come out that everybody's looking at. But there is far more compelling evidence that I was privy to that, you know, I think you're looking at the tip of the iceberg. End quote. Elizondo is referring to other top-secret UFO videos unearthed by his research team, including a 2004 video where a government jet is also being followed by an unidentified flying object called the USS Nimitz UFO incident. The Go Fast video is the third video of anomalous UFO footage from the Pentagon, but he refused to discuss how they obtained the other two videos, not going into the group's methods whatsoever. The Freedom of Information Act allowed them access to the GoFast video from 2015, but there is still much more evidence locked away beyond their reach. Elizondo, he clearly believes that there is a much larger cache of Pentagon materials about unidentified aerial phenomena, and it's still unreleased or unaccessible at the moment. Basically, only people with high-level government, like officials, can access it. And with uh, Elizondo being so credible, what helps his credibility for me personally is that it is obvious he isn't a blind believer suffering from confirmation bias when it comes to UFOs, because he says many discoveries they made could have been secret Chinese or Russian aircraft, despite the 2004 video being unexplainable. But we'll save those other incidents for another time. Concerning this video, first off, the location, date, 
name of pilots, or any detailed information was taken out of the footage by the Pentagon as part of the release approval process. The only thing that has been objectively discovered beyond that is that the incident took place back in 2015 off the East Coast. So there is no way to investigate anyone involved in the operation or interview the pilots. There is extremely little to go off of. And revealing further information regarding the Go Fast video looks bleak. The Super Hornet jet is equipped with the most advanced technology available, including an onboard Raytheon AN-ASQ-288 Advanced Targeting Forward-Looking Infrared ATFLIR pod, Bella, which is mainly for use against ground targets with a range of up to 40 miles. The targeting system is not designed to target other flying objects, but it is still really good at locking onto them, or I guess just spotting aerial targets in general. Hilariously, the military refuses to not only comment on the subject, but doesn't even consider the object a UFO, instead naming it an anomalous aerial vehicle. Which is, I guess, what the military labels UFOs as? In the video, the UFO appears to be purposely chasing the Navy jet, and what trips out the crew so bad is that it not only like uh, its appearance and presence, but also how it shows up on their infrared targeter. The craft emits no heat or combustion trail of any sort, and it's oval with a, with a utterly like smooth exterior. It doesn't look like it's something can, that can like uh, has aerodynamics, which means like it doesn't look like something that should be able to fly. All current flying technology and missiles even have some sort of fins, no matter how small. So the craft is beyond any known technology on the planet. The video begins in the infrared black hot mode with the ocean in the background. The UFO zooms from top right off the screen to the lower left as the weapon systems lock on. Well, he fails to lock on a bunch of times, but eventually he does, he does uh, lock on. What made the lock on so challenging at first is because it was flying so dangerously close to the ocean. At least it would be dangerous for like a, uh, an Air Force jet. But on the third try, he does get the lock. And this is when the crew really start to freak out. Let's listen to the dialogue. footage is pretty profound and interesting. I'll link it here. Look in the show notes. The Go Fast UFO video is clearly one of the most objective pieces of evidence concerning uh, Earth being visited by extraterrestrials in the history of ufology. And it's all thanks to Blink-182 guitarist Tom DeLonge. And of course, those other former high-ranking government officials. But um, I'm going to go grab some coffee. I will be right back after a quick break. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. $30 off weed with code PODCAST? Did someone say $30 off weed with code PODCAST? Amuse delivers over 500 high-quality cannabis products from the Bay Area brands you love at everyday low prices. You can also rest assured that everything will be up to your high standards. So what are you waiting for? Start shopping now at amuse.com. Use promo code PODCAST to save 30 bucks off your next order. 
That's A-M-U-S-E dot com. Hello, my name is Nessie. You might remember me from such places as Loch Ness, because I'm a Loch Ness monster. Cryptic Chronicles is sponsored by Blueberry. If you're interested in making your own podcast, just go to Blueberry.com or by going to CrypticChronicles.com, click on the sponsor link on the homepage. By going through Cryptic Chronicles, you will not only be helping to support the show, but you'll also have the best podcasting host on the market. There's no contracts, and you can cancel any time. You'll have free 24-hour tech support, syndication with your own RSS feed, as well as a plethora of other goodies that only professional podcasters use. There's no third-party sites to log into. Never leave your own website. You remain in control. All you have to do is produce your podcast, write your blog post, and then publish with 29,000 plugins to pick from. By going through Cryptic Chronicles, you'll have one month free of the best podcast statistics, as well as one month free of the best podcast hosting. So go through our sponsor, Blueberry, today. And if you can, visit Loch Ness, because I am very hungry. Next up, we have the Aguadilla Airport Incident. In Aguadilla, Puerto Rico, back in April 2013, another of the most credible UFO events occurred. Now, we usually think of America being the hotbed of UFO activity on Earth, but that's actually not quite the case. The UFO sightings in South America are insanely high, with Puerto Rico probably having the most increased reported UFO sightings on the planet. According to UFO researcher and investigator Bob Pratt, Concerning Puerto Rico, quote, UFO cases are occurring everywhere all the time. The UFO footage captured in this incident was uh, taken by a thermal imaging camera that was located on the side of a jet that belonged to the Department of Homeland Security. Later, this footage was proven to not have been tampered with and reveals a shocking display of an anomalous flying object beyond humanity's current technological capabilities. The UFO, uh, it looks kind of like a, a glowing pink red circular object. In the footage, it zooms across land and air, then vanishes into the ocean. Many ufologists claim the area is home to alien bases underground or under the water, which kind of sounds like the reptilian conspiracy theory until you watch the video. The footage was luckily leaked to the public by some brave whistleblowers who sent it to Mutual UFO Network more famously known as MUFON, which I'm sure you're pretty familiar with. UFO investigator Dana Cheviano had it forwarded to her Florida home, where the footage blew her away. A plethora of MUFON investigators would be brought together to analyze the video, 
which turned out to be unlike anything they'd seen before. It was analyzed with the highest scrutiny, down to individual frame-by-frame -frame analysis, and the investigators' jaws dropped while watching one of the most credible pieces of evidence for the existence of UFOs, and uh, becoming completely enraptured as they lovingly examined every minute detail of the video. But when it comes to alien stuff, you gotta not trust anything. So the MUFON team set out to find any cracks in the credibility of the footage. Though the whistleblowers demanded total anonymity and were hesitant to interact with the MUFON investigator out of fear from their commanding officials, they provided all the evidence required to ease the worry of Dana and her team, basically proving that the video was legit. They uncovered that the whistleblowers were not the only ones to see the UFOs because other flights were delayed. In the official records, it was uh, put down as an unknown object overhead that's objectively documented, giving massive credibility to the sources. The MUFON investigators concluded the UFO was between three to five feet wide and showed incredible dynamic maneuverability, both in the air and under the ocean, with an average speed of 80 miles per hour but the object could also slow down to 40 miles per hour and could change speeds in an instant and speed up to 120 miles per hour a moment later. Basically, it could just like zigzag at like ridiculous speeds. There was a multitude of alternate views that they thought up trying to discredit their own work because that's how you do real research. You discredit yourself. You don't look for just stuff that goes along with what you want to think. They even uh, thought that it could be maybe a secret U.S. experiment or something. But no matter how much they tried, none of their theories could discredit their findings. This included other investigators claiming the UFO could be birds, which is insane and stupid, or some kind of advanced drone of some sort, but a drone that's uh, it's a pretty o OP drone. The only problem with all of those theories is that there is radar data of the UFO which tosses all of that out the window. Literally none of the theories to discredit the sighting hold any ground, and it remains a firm piece of evidence that humans are not alone in the universe. Next up we have one of my favorites, the Phoenix Lights, which is known as the largest UFO sighting in history. This is a tale pretty out of this world. On March 13th, 1997, Literally thousands of witnesses saw otherworldly lights in the shape of a V in the night sky over Arizona. But not only Arizona, also in northern Mexico and Nevada over the span of 12 hours. Thousands and thousands of people reported seeing massive unexplainable flying objects, and there were many recordings as well. One witness even claimed to watch one of the crafts at least a mile wide glide by him and over a mountain. It is easy to say all those who witnessed the events of that night were changed forever, and they've written many, many books on the subject. There's a lot of people in the mainstream that have debunked this with a bunch of saying it's like military stuff or whatever, but none of that is empirical knowledge. And you have to remember the government's long, long, long history of misinformation and straight up lying about this, uh, this topic. However, Arizona is no stranger to UFO sightings. For over 70 years, there have been thousands of UFO sightings reported there, as well as alien abductions. If you research Arizona's newspapers throughout the century, 
you will find a plethora of articles and headlines about aliens and unidentified flying objects. The E.T. abduction of Travis Walton back in 1975 is actually one of the most famous close encounter tales in uh, Arizona other than the Phoenix Lights. And the thing about Travis Walton is his story hasn't changed at all over 40 years. And he's passed psychological exams trying to weed out any lies or psychosis in him. He even wrote a book called Fire in the Sky. It goes into how he was long ago a logger who got abducted right out of where he was working in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest. But we're here to talk about Phoenix Lights. Do go look into Travis Walton abduction though. It's interesting and one of the more genuine alleged abduction tales. The Phoenix Lights have sparked many books like I've already said and pop culture content as well as a full-blown movie and many documentaries. Not to mention the thousands of YouTube videos on it. I remember a time where I couldn't even walk into a bookstore without seeing a novel covering the sightings. And I spent a lot of time in bookstores, especially in my early adulthood. Whether it was a mass delusion or unexplained anomalous phenomena, it latched onto the paranormal collective consciousness and wouldn't let go. Many stories and legends have been born from the sightings of the Phoenix Lights including wild tales of benevolent aliens, interdimensional travel, and alternate timelines crossing over with the future. If you remember back when I was talking about alien races and like starseed stuff back in the day, this is supposedly from certain points of view supposed to be the Yael ET race, who are basically just hybrid humans who look at us as kind of like their, their parents in a way, because so much of our DNA was used to create them. And that was them like testing the waters to see if we were ready to encounter them and not, you know, burn our civilization to the ground. The first high profile person to come forth and admit that he witnessed the lights was actually the governor of Arizona, which probably wasn't very good for his political career. But at first, the then time governor, Fife Symington, totally denied the authenticity of the sightings. He even mocked the very idea of it by having one of his aides dress up as an alien during the press conference when all the people in the city were, you know, coming to him about their worries, which damaged his political career and he knew it would. That's why he started off as such a, like a, having a, like a hostile stance towards it. But he did completely confess to witnessing the Phoenix lights with his own eyes. Governor Symington would then say, quote, I'm a pilot. And I know just about every machine that flies. It was bigger than anything I've ever seen. It remains a mystery. Other people saw it. Responsible people. I don't know why people would ridicule it. End quote. So he did go forth publicly to change his stance and apologized for his first response to the public. It was probably still a bad move though because he had nothing to gain from admitting to what he saw and everything to lose, which he kind of did. It has been a couple decades since the sightings now, and many who did not witness the event have speculated what they could have possibly seen. Some people claim the lights were the vehicles of interdimensional entities. The usual excuse as uh, like military experiments, as I've already said, unknown atmospheric phenomenon, as well as just straight up aliens. People controlled by the mainstream media and herd mentality devoutly state dogmatically that it's just the military, as uh, 
the government claims. You know, because uh, it makes sense that it's light flares. <laughs> we can totally believe what the mainstream media and military say, right? I mean, everyone knows that flares can keep a steady formation gliding through the air for countless miles and stay bright even at extremely high altitudes while traveling through entire states, all the while emitting massive darker-than-night V outlines that appear solid. I mean, that's just common flare knowledge. Everyone knows that flares are magic. Come on. Sarcasm aside, not one attempt to disprove the Phoenix Lights actually adds up if you look at it from an objective, unbiased point of view. I did come across footage of a charismatic military officer who explained the phenomena as flares. I thought it would probably make sense to your ordinary U.S. citizen who doesn't want to believe in a universe more than what they've been spoon-fed their whole lives. So I understand why many people just casually dismiss the Phoenix Lights. The truth couldn't be more opposite, though, and even remains unexplained till this day to the frustration of skeptics worldwide. Even Alice Cooper, the Dark Prince himself, witnessed the Phoenix Lights. He was just driving through the Arizona desert, probably being a total badass, when he encountered otherworldly phenomena. In an interview recorded by his wife, Alice said, quote, I got about as far as Blith and still in Arizona, and I just happened to notice something out of the corner of my eye. It was a clear night on March 13th, 1997, when thousands who were out to get a glimpse of the hale bop comet saw something they weren't expecting, a large triangular-shaped aircraft, some described as a mile wide, gliding silently over Phoenix. It was moving. I would say it was probably southwest. I watched it, and I watched it, and I stopped the car in the middle of the desert. I called my wife, and I said, Cheryl, I am looking at the Phoenix lights right now. I am here all alone, and I'm watching. Wait a minute. I'm out here all alone. That's not a good idea, if that's what I think it is. End quote. Witnessing the lights made Cooper uneasy and forever changed him. A taste of the unknown can do that to anyone, even a rock god. But that's not all. Many celebrities and people in high places have come forward about witnessing the Phoenix lights, including law enforcement, politicians, and even more celebrities, such as Kurt Russell. All of them say the lights were otherworldly and alien, like uh, not of this world. There were thousands of witnesses, with many afraid to come forward out of a fear of being made fun of, you know, ostracization. But over the years, there has been a steady trickle of people coming forward to tell their tale about their experience with the lights. Now, how many of those are true witness accounts and not a pathetic attempt at like five minutes of fame? That's a different story entirely, but... If you wade through the mud, you can usually find a little bit of truth in these types of things. And there's just far too many accounts to, you know, not see that something is going on here. But interesting enough, the Phoenix lights have reappeared many times since their initial reveal back in 1997. Like I said, they've shown themselves periodically, but in 2007 and 2008, there was even more heavy of a reveal though there was no event as prevalent or profound as their original appearance. 
What makes the Phoenix Lights one of the most credible UFO encounters is just the sheer numbers of people who saw it and the visual documentation such as photographs and video recordings. There is no event that has had more witnesses, and there are only a few other events that have suffered in smear campaigns as much as the Phoenix Lights. The gutter press really hates the Phoenix Lights and try to smear it whenever they can in an attempt to invalidate the phenomenon. Yet despite all these tools and closed-minded know-it-alls, there is only one thing that is objectively true about the Phoenix Lights, and that's that it is an anomalous event that remains unexplained and a mystery to this day, and for now is the largest UFO sighting in history in America. Here's what the Arizona governor said in an interview. March 13th, 1997, this event called Lights Over Phoenix, what did you see? Well, I saw a, uh, a huge craft just kind of come right over Squaw Peak um, that was, you know, it was just breathtaking. And um, I'm not sure about the, the date, you've, you've got a better memory March for the 13th. dates than I do. Yeah. But there was no, like the Clinton day, no? No. <laughs> No, I was on a strict diet. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm serious now. That that it was a it was a unquestionably it was a UFO, which means unidentified flying object. Right. Doesn't nothing, mean we're being visited. Well, it's nothing like anything I've ever seen. And, and you're an Air Force guy. Yeah, yeah, and a pilot. Uh, got a lot of hours flying, so uh, it was pretty breathtaking. And um, and I'll never forget. I I snuck out to see it, um, you know, without DPS, um, which I. I'm not supposed to be driving my own car and that kind oh, of thing. Yeah. And so, uh, but I told Ann what I was doing. I was going to go up to Squaw Peak and see what everybody was, you know, clamoring about. And um, when I walked in the front door, she looked at me and I was apparently just, normally I'm fair complected and pale anyway, right? And she said, oh my gosh, she said, she'd look like a ghost. What, what, what did you see? And I said, well, I don't know what I saw, but it's, it was really something and I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wow. so Were you, did it frighten you? No, I, no, I, I think I was kind of in awe, really, you know. How big? Bigger than anything I've ever seen in the sky. Like an aircraft carrier in the yeah, sky? Yeah, 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 something like that, yeah. And it, and it was hard to define because of the light in terms of the size, but it, but it was absolutely silent and had sort of eerie embedded lights and, you know, so that's what I saw and I wasn't expecting to see anything because I was looking out over at Luke. Uh, right. to the west and uh, and then all of a sudden these people in the park uh, area on the just on the west side of 51 there are a bunch of people there everybody said oh, look at that and we turned around and this thing was coming from the northwest traveling to the southeast and let's listen to a, a little bit more uh, clips real quick some aren't sure what they saw. A bit skeptical, but yet I don't have an explanation for what it was. So. While others felt it from miles away. I was in Tucson, standing by my swimming pool, and this large shape came over my head. March 13th, 1997. These fully lit orbs caught on home video just above the Phoenix skyline. 
Thousands have claimed to see them in person, but there's still no answer for what they were. I pushed my whole medical career aside for seven years to try to find a logical source of meaning for what I had witnessed and photographed, have yet to find it. Whether they came from a galaxy far, far away, or they're simply man-made, Dr. Lynn Kitai has dedicated her life to finding out the answer. It's led to books, an online community, and even a documentary. The man behind the lens for that project admits he was a skeptic to other sightings around the world, but not when it came to the Phoenix Lights. This gets us out of our little worldly bubble here, and then all of a sudden you become part of a universal family. It's still a mystery if we'll be joining that family anytime soon. Many unsure if we'll ever hear from them the next time we see the lights. If they visited us or not, I don't know because I don't know why they've made, they haven't made themselves known in some way. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now is the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete, foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details. Hi there. Thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry, and if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show, but most of all, thanks for listening. Hello, dear listener. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? A spiritual or esoteric experience? Have you ever seen a UFO or something that you could not explain? Have you ever witnessed anomalous activity that defies reality? Have you ever experienced unexplained mysteries of existence? If you have your own cryptic tale and would like to have it shared on the podcast, then call 1-800-757-6049 and leave a message of your experience. If it's what Cryptic Chronicles is all about, then it will be shared on the show. Just make sure you thought about what you will say ahead of time, and give a clear and concise account. Also make sure to leave your name, where you're from, or any information that will assist in making a clear picture to portray to listeners of Cryptic Chronicles. 
Once again, call 1-800-757-6049. That's 1-800-757-6049. We look forward to hearing from you. On November 17, 1986, one of the most baffling and bizarre incidents to ever take place in Alaska occurred, the Japan Airlines Flight 1628 incident, which is one of the most well-documented and uh, well-known UFO cases ever. Japanese Airlines Captain Kenju Tarachi was getting ready for a routine flight going from Paris to Alaska and then back to Japan. Little did he know, he was in for the strangest experience of his life. Captain Kenju was a veteran pilot who was also an ex-fighter pilot and clocked in more than 10,000 hours of experience. The man knew his business and was an expert pilot in every sense of the word. He'd seen it all, you name it basically, and Kenju had done it. He'd flown in all weather types and experienced nigh on every single challenge a pilot could ever face, including another pilot trying to shoot them down in a hail of machine guns. At first, everything seemed normal and easy-peasy early in the flight. Then Anchorage Air Route Traffic Control hit up the veteran pilot and told him he should alter his course a bit. But when Captain Kenju did so, the co-pilot noticed something strange out the window. Three crafts could be seen in the distance flying in the sky. The co-pilot didn't make a big deal about it though. He shrugged them off as some military planes on a routine practice mission or something and didn't really sweat it. So for some time, the pilots didn't pay them any mind until later they noticed that the unidentified aircraft were not acting like typical aircraft. This is when Captain Kenju opened radio contact with nearby flight control and asked if there was any military training scheduled or any other aircraft close to their flight path. They told the captain there was no registered flights of any kind, at least that they knew of, and even checked the radar, to which they told Captain Kenju that there wasn't anything on it, and wondered if he was sure he saw something. They repeatedly said that only Flight 1628 was on the radar, which greatly worried the captain and his crew. Basically, right after that, the unidentified aircraft ceased to simply shadow the plane from a distance, taking on a chaotic pattern zooming this way and that, in a way that no aircraft Kenju knew could do. It seemed impossible, but the now unnerving and uncanny aircraft were still at enough distance that the crew didn't feel immediately threatened. However, that changed really quick when two UFOs appeared out of nowhere directly in front of the plane, to which no doubt caused Captain Kenju to shit himself. The two pilots squinted as otherworldly light illuminated the cockpit, and Kenju swears some type of energy radiated from the light. And the entire time that the UFOs were doing this, they were basically just zooming backwards along like with the same, with the same speed of the plane, hovering in front of the cockpit. Kenju had this to say about the experience. I felt the warmth of the UFO's thrusters on my face, which is pretty freaky. The UFOs then just flew next to the plane, keeping pace while making a circle of lights around it from their thrusters or something like that. The way it's described is somewhat confusing to me, but the, the lights are a key feature 
Captain Kenju talked about. But despite the craziness, after the first startle, the crew didn't really feel threatened because nothing bad happened to them, so... Eh. To the crew, it seemed like the craft were more like playing a game, like uh, just playing with them. There was never any hostile actions taken against Flight 1628. The crew were more mesmerized and astonished by their unreal situation than feeling like they were in imminent doom or something. At least after the UFOs showed how powerful and advanced they were, but didn't harm them. But once again, when talking to flight control, they said that they didn't see anything on the radar. But Captain Kenju had an idea and used the digital weather radar. Somehow this worked, and indeed, there in the little screen were green blips moving with them through the sky. When they flew over a city with bright lights, the crew saw the craft tailing them much more clearly, and they were massive, much bigger than first thought. Kenju later described them as the size of two aircraft carriers, and having fought against aircraft carriers in battle during World War II, he knew what he was talking about. Kind of getting freaked out now, even more than they already were, they tried to ditch the UFOs using crazy maneuvers. They did everything they knew how, including flying in circles, going up, down, through clouds, the works. Basically everything they knew they tried on uh, their attempt to lose the other weird UFO aircraft. Nothing worked though. Despite their massive size, the UFOs seemed to defy the laws of physics. So yeah, they were getting scared and were talking to flight control, though flight control really couldn't think of anything to do in their situation since no one's ever experienced it before who was a part of the encounter. They did offer to hit up military bases and send some fighter jets their way to defend them, but the crew decided to decline the offer because who knew what it would escalate to. They were pretty sure that the UFOs, if antagonized, could just kill everybody on board and kill any jet or anything they could throw against them easily. I mean, how could you fight against an aircraft that defies physics? It would be a suicide mission for everybody involved. Then Captain Kenju probably thanked all everything as the encounter finally came to an end as they came close to their destination. But it was only the beginning for Kenju concerning his encounter with these UFOs. FAA Division Chief John Callahan was extremely interested in the incident and did a full interview. Not to mention the Alaskan media jumped all over it, which spread to the rest of the USA and the rest of the world in general quite quickly. Callahan listened to all the recordings and everything he could get his hands on. Captain Kenju would declare, It's a UFO, and things like that to flight control, with all of it seeming to be 100% authentic. Though, like I've already said, the Anchorage air traffic control didn't see any UFOs on their radar. But the military definitely did and had been tracking the crafts the whole time. The flight control didn't have nearly as high tech as the military, obviously. But thank God they didn't scramble any fighters that would have put Flight 1628 in danger. The military personnel reported that the UFOs were going thousands of miles per hour without showing any signs of inertia, and they would immediately stop also showing no signs of inertia, and only slowed down to hover around Captain Kenju and his crew. It also turned out that the UFOs just ditched following Kenju to shadow another plane on a routine flight. So this sighting goes even beyond Kenju. 
and his crew. Not long after, the FBI got involved, along with the CIA, and even some researchers of President Ronald Reagan. A lot of people think that Reagan was referring to this UFO encounter in his speech which he insinuates very bluntly that there's an alien presence here on Earth. Or probably there already is one, I mean. On September 21st, 1987, in a speech before the United Nations General Assembly, Reagan hinted at the possibilities of a hostile alien extraterrestrial threat to Earth. In one of three of the most bizarre speeches any president has ever publicly given to a mainstream audience. And damn, did it blow up. And it's strange, it's rarely talked about or referenced concerning conspiracies to cover up UFOs from the mass population of America and I guess the whole world too for that matter. People very rarely talk about this kind of stuff. Even Obama admitted to like UFO stuff recently in an interview. I'll quote just a tad bit of Reagan from the speech real quick. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Yeah, I mean, it's a weird st that's a weird thing to say. Think about a modern president saying that and not causing chaos or propaganda or impeachment or use your imagination. I'm sure you can think of some, all the weird, crazy stuff that would happen. And it's a strange thing to say too, because anyone with a decent intelligence can quickly conclude that if aliens wanted to wipe us out or take over, it would be as easy as blowing over a house of cards. Reagan though. Reagan thought a hostile invasion of aliens would unite the world, but in truth, we wouldn't even stand the slightest chance in any way, unless the situation was much more abstract than we think. For example, there's a lot of aliens in E.T. lore. A whole bunch. I got a book on it not that long ago, and wow, that's a lot. But one of the main things to consider concerning that is that there is like a whole if it's true, you know, I'm not trying to say any facts, quote unquote, but there seems to be, if this stuff is true, if there's any truth to it, there's like intergalactic politics. So if an alien tr did want to wipe us out or mess with us, they probably would have some consequences, you know, that kind of stuff. Just because they want to do something or they want certain resources or to manipulate in a certain way, doesn't mean that they can, not necessarily because they they can't because they lack power, but they can't because of like the political nature of doing so. Anyway, I'm getting a little sidetracked here. Back to Flight 1628. When Callahan and all the government clandestine people got done going over all the data, they quickly decreed it was all to be hush-hush, and the whole group of UFO analyzers never got together. The whole Flight 1628 essentially they made never happen. The stealth bomber was being developed at the time, and Callahan said that if they all knew it wasn't the stealth bomber, but a real UFO, why wouldn't they want the American people to know? The government people said it was forbidden, because it would cause chaos to break out. The American people could never know, or it might bring the country to its knees in anarchy. 
They then took all the collected data of the incident, saying it was all theirs now. And for Callahan to basically fuck off and told him he better keep quiet. Luckily, though, Callahan had made copies of every piece of evidence he'd collected. To quote Callahan from an interview circa 2000, When they asked me what I thought, I told them that it looked like we had a UFO that was up there, as far as I was concerned. Reagan's science team were the ones that verified my own thoughts about it. They were very, very excited about the data. They had said at that time that this was the only time, and they had used the words, a UFO, was ever recorded on radar for any length of time. End quote. Things went sour for Captain Kenju for a bit, though. Uh, poor guy. He lost everything because he was honest and upfront about the UFO encounter, having a strong sense of honor. Not only did the Japanese government not care for his tales of aliens over Alaska, but the flight company he worked for considered his story to be embarrassing and brought them to shame. They didn't believe him, obviously, and thought that he made it all up for a quick dose of fame, even though he had an entire crew and military radar team that all knew it was true. Eventually, though, Kenju got to fly again, so his part of the story isn't entirely depressing. That's all for today's episode. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and basically all podcast hubs. Just look for us and we will be there. If you can, make sure to like or comment or review wherever you do listen to this podcast. It will really help the algorithm to spread us out and suggest us to new listeners. It's just a really, really good way to spread the show. And if you enjoy it just a little bit, doing that really helps. And let's look at a couple comments. Paul Miller says, It could be a streaming tulpa from the collective subconscious. What? Oh, he's talking about episode 49, Is Reality an Illusion? What is he talking about? Oh, maybe the simulation theory. Don Page says, Great podcast, cover ghosts more. Thank you, um, huh. I've got like a bunch of stuff like planned in a row, so it's not easy for me to just switch what I'm working on, but I definitely have some of that, that, uh, that kind of stuff in the pipeline, don't worry. 
have I not been covering enough paranormal stuff like that? I feel like I haven't been covering aliens enough. And then another person emailed me asking for me to cover like more serial killer stuff. And it's just like, oh my gosh, it's hard for me to keep track, but I will cover whatever you want me to cover. Just add it to the list. Please interact with the content as much as possible. It really helps out and it makes the algorithm God like Cryptic Chronicles, which is always a good thing. Please review, comment, share, review. I already said that. Like, whatever, you know, just, just do it. It doesn't even matter if it's bad. Say whatever bad stuff you want too, because the bad stuff, just the interaction, actually helps the algorithm too. It doesn't matter if it's bad or good. It's still good. If you really, really, really like Cryptic Chronicles and you got a little bit of money to spare, then consider supporting Cryptic Chronicles on Patreon. For just a dollar a month, you can get exclusive episodes, ad-free episodes, uncensored episodes, as well as all the video content early before anyone else, as well as getting the podcast early. And I'm not talking early as in like a couple days, I'm talking like early, early. Like I do this a, a month ahead of time. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and all the alt tech, BitChute, Vimeo, Rumble, Daily Motion, as well as follow us on social media, especially the Facebook group. Honestly, I don't go on social media as much as I used to in the past because I read too much, um, too many books on neuroscience and how like unhealthy it is to regularly be on social media. But I do check it and we'll reply. We'll do all the normal stuff. But stop on in and follow and never miss any Cryptic Chronicles content. And I'd like to thank my current patrons. MJ Calvo, Adrian, John, Celestial Weavers, Alien X, Lorna Grubb, Paul, Linda Gonzalez, Angela Delaire, and Ashley. Thanks for supporting Cryptic Chronicles, but most of all, thanks for listening. Make sure to keep it weird. And as one of the wisest gurus who ever lived once said, Censorship no longer works by hiding information from you. Censorship works by flooding you with immense amounts of misinformation, of irrelevant information, of funny cat videos, until you're just unable to focus.